are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now. Leave a message. They will return your call. 905-529-7165. And don't forget the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. And, of course, you can hear old shows there and, as well, ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Great to see hey, you all. Good to see you, Scott. Uh, uh, we should plug the seminar before we do anything, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Talk about this. People October need to 12th. know October 12th is the date, and we're. this is called Recreating Your Retirement Paycheck. Mm-hmm. Creating Your Retirement Paycheck. Uh, 10 a.m. October 12th at the Royal Hamilton Yacht Club, 7 p.m. at the Sea Hotel up on the mountain on Thursday, October 12th. And if you want to register, you can call us today and leave a voicemail over the weekend, and we'll make sure we put you on the list. Or you can go to the internet and go to andyanddon.com, and you'll see under events. Under events, there's an events area, and just there's a, both seminars are listed. You just uh, put your information in, hit the button, and you're in. You got an event an event section on your page? We do so. <laughs> Barbecues, <laughs> get-togethers, you know. I, and our big one right now is a seminar. <laughs> <laughs> Well, why not? It's, I just want to say it's free to attend, right. but it's important that everyone knows there are 30 spots available for each session, and we'll make sure we try and fit everybody in, but it is going to be first come, first serve. Free? It's like super crawl. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, the right advice brings your future into focus. Let's talk about this. Yes, it's interesting. Fidelity, back earlier this year, um, did a major poll of 1948 Canadians Mm -hmm. and they wanted a real good cross-section so they took uh, and and mainly seniors retired and retirees uh, sorry retired already retired and ones about to retire and and kind of see what their thinking was on retirement how they're doing how they feel and you know what are they doing so there's a lot of information here so I thought that was really fascinating and the average age was 57 Mm -hmm. And the gender was actually 50-50, half male, half female. So there's no gender bias at all. Yeah. And they went through and they talked to, again, ones that were actually retired and ones that intended to retire. And so the question is for the retirees, what age did you retire at? It was interesting. The actual retirement dates were very different than the ones that were going to retire. And I think a lot has to do with perhaps interest rates, Mm -hmm. um, perhaps uh, kids still living at home. Because the, the big number for actual retirees, almost 50% of the people retired, actually retired under the age of 60. Wow. So it was about 45%. Mm. Okay. Now, the ones that are about to retire, the almost the same percentage, about 42%, are hoping to retire at 65. Mm-hmm. So you can see the shift of the retirement age has definitely moved about five years. Older. Older. Yeah. Okay. Um, and these are simply just people retired versus about to retire. And so they're not talking about a big age difference, but maybe a generation tops. Yeah. And it's just the the thinking behind that is, uh, well, there could be a, a plenty of reasons. Everything from lack of defined benefit plans. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, looking after your own investments, lower interest rates, um, perhaps the 0809 um, Do we crisis. just assume if they could afford to retire, they would? That's a good question, and that's going to be coming up too, on why they retired or, or what caused them. It could be health too. Yeah. So, and here we go. What was the main reason for retiring? And all retirees were uh, basically, uh, job changes was a big one. The company changed and the job changed. So they said, ah, that's enough. Yeah, I'm out. Too much paperwork, whatever. <laughs> okay, I don't want to lift that. 
Yeah. Um, some, the next biggest answer was, I'm just ready to retire. It's time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just woke up one of those days. I've had enough. That's it. Um, the third biggest reason, though, 20% of the reasons for retiring was health and medical reasons. Mm. Okay. Um, 15% to pursue other interests. And financially prepared. Now, this was the interesting one. All retirees, about 10% said they're financially prepared and that's why they retired. However, they retired, the people under 60 that retired, they were about 15%. They hit that magic number, had enough money and said, ah, I'm out. So they were more prepared. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, One of the answers was simply, I reached the retirement age, whatever that number was. And it appears that retirement age has been getting older. But the ones that did retire did just say, "Ah, I'm, I'm at the age now. And other was a low one. Um, interesting though, do you have a written financial plan that specifically deals with your retirement? Extremely important question as it turned out, 27%, so call it a quarter of the people said, yes, I do. Mm-hmm. So 68% said no, and 5% said, I don't, I don't know. So by that, does, it, does that mean having a date when you're specifically going to retire, starting there and then a plan? No, that's just simply having a, a a written plan, right. looking at your goals, your lifestyle. Um, do you have, an, you know, going through your cash flow, making mm-hmm. sure you can continue the lifestyle you want with the money you have. Um, taking into account when you buy a new car, inflation, when the old age security and the Canada Pension Plan kicks in. Right. All the different variables, perhaps selling your house, are all put into the financial plan. Mm-hmm. And only one out of four had a financial plan. Mm-hmm. Now, interesting, they asked this question. To the two people, the ones that did have a financial plan and the ones that didn't. And I feel very positive about my life in retirement or how it will be in retirement, depending if they're retired or not. And the ones with no financial plan, the pre-retirees, only 16% felt positive. Yeah. 39% of the pre-retirees felt very positive if they had a financial plan. So the difference was way more than double, 40% versus 15% to round figures. Now, the ones that are already retired, I thought, well, at least they're comfortable. They, they've already re- retired, financial plan or no financial plan, I'm sure they're okay. I was wrong. The retirees that did not have a financial plan, only 37% of them was, were felt very positive about how their life was in retirement versus 60% that had a financial plan and said, I feel very positive about how my life is in retirement. So obviously, a really major aspect of how happy they were was simply having a financial plan, okay? And yet only one out of four had one. Hmm. Now, where, what kind of sources of income were they receiving? Or in both cases, anticipated sources for the pre-retirees and actual source sources for the actual retirees. And there's a few, the normal ones are government pensions, um, RSPs, non-registered savings, defined benefit plans. They were all up there. Everybody had those. They were on the list and and they were the same whether they were um, retired or anticipating retiring. But the ones that were very different, equity I have in my home when it sold. The ones that were pre-retired, a a lot more people were relying on the equity in their house to retire on. Right, right. Okay, they haven't retired yet. Um, The other one, Employment income, only 20% of the actual retirees were getting, were working. Mm-hmm. Well, the pre-retirees are expecting 50% are expecting a part-time job. Mm. So this is a really big difference here. Mm. They're actually banking that they're going to keep working 
and yet the act ones that are currently retired only 20 percent are yeah okay um inheritance quite interesting there the ones uh actually retired again they're about 15 percent expecting to get inheritance the ones that are going to be retiring about 30 percent who are expecting an inheritance to help their retirement so that's I would actually think that should be more like, I don't know, 2%. <laughs> okay. Yeah, really. You should not really have to depend on an inheritance for your retirement. And so some major way of thinking of before they're retired or not, um, or actually retired. So inheritance, it works out that one in four pre-retirees anticipate an inheritance to be a source of their income. But the ones that are already retired, it turns out that there's only about 15%. Yeah. Okay. Home equity. Half of the pre-retires expect to use their equity in their home after it's sold to be court, be, become a source of income. And this is an interesting one, Andy, where you're, they're expecting your house. And we're seeing our housing values go up a lot. But they say, well, I, I got my big asset here. I can always sell that. I always look at it, well, you got to live somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> pardon me, I think probably one of the greatest risks that people are making the assumption that they're going to use their house as a retirement nest egg. Mm-hmm. In other words, you know, I'm, I haven't been saving enough. I'm probably short in terms of retirement, but that's okay. I'm going to cash in the house and I'll be able to live off the retirement. I'll be able to live out my retirement yeah. with the savings from the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, boy, I think it's a risky uh, to just to fall back on that as your only choice when it comes to housing. So yeah. uh, mm. generally people don't free up that much money when they think about their lifestyle. You get used to living a certain way in a certain location. And how many are telling their kids that there will be no re- re- uh, inheritance <laughs> because I'm spending it now? That's right. That's <laughs> yeah, the house, the house yeah. could be gone That's and it. spent too. Yeah. And, and it's amazing, even though these houses have gone up so much, um, rent's gone up a lot too, yeah. or even the condos have gone up a lot. So once they look at actually moving, they often feel there's not that much equity no, there to move. Much savings, yeah. So as I mentioned, the one big one here, and we have found this not the case in all the 32, three years that we've been with in, as financial planners, two out of three reti- pre-retirees think they'll likely continue working in some capacity once they retire. Mm-hmm. And as much as we, they all sell us, oh yeah, we're going to get a part-time job. Mm-hmm. I would say it's a lot less than two out of three. It yeah. might be one out of three. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Good point. Um, as far as debts, I know you. We've talked about uh, even you know off air about um, people how big the debt is per mm-hmm. person right now, and certainly mortgages are the biggest source of debt in Canada right now. Sixty-eight percent of people have debt is mm-hmm. the mortgage. Yeah. Okay. Now they also have installment loans, home equity line of credits is eleven percent. Credit cards is six percent of the debt in Canada. How much? Six. Six. Which is still a large number. Yeah. When you think about the kind of interest rates you have to pay on those. But as far as uh, do you rent or do you uh, own your primary residence? People that are retired, um, 30% rent, Hmm. okay? Semi-retired, ones that had a part-time job, 18% rent. So it did turn out that ones that did have a job continued to live in their house a lot longer, about double. And uh, and exact opposite numbers for owning, of course. So 70% of retired people were owning their house. 82% of semi-retired people um, owned the house. Mm-hmm. So that made a difference. Amongst those who owned their house, many still had a mortgage. Now, this is an interesting one. Of the retirees, 28% of retirees, the ones that already retired, had a mortgage. Mm-hmm. The pre-retirees, they're expecting that 58% expect to have a mortgage when they retire. Mm-hmm. So it's about double. 
And again, it's uh, people have continued with their their debt um, using their house almost like an ATM. Mm -hmm. um, particularly when you look at the equity line of credits, getting homeowners equity line of credit, and then they'll buy a car, which is really another form of a mortgage. So yes, the debt right now is huge. Um, the home equity Canadian household debt has actually doubled in the last ten years. It's gone from one point eight trillion to three point five trillion from 2006 to 2016. And this has been in the news a lot, yeah. which is affecting the retirement side. And again, from Annie and I's perspective, we look at debt management in terms of the pre-retirees. How do, can it work with this debt? And also for the retirees, how do we get rid of this debt? Because cash flow is everything when you stop earning a paycheck. Mm -hmm. You want to yeah. see what's coming in, where's it going? And those mortgage-free people or debt-free people, it's so much easier. Yeah. to plan for their retirement without debt. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and reserve your spot for their seminar October 12th, 905-529-7165. We're coming back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call and leave a message. They will get back to you, even if you'd like to book an appointment and, uh, of course, a spot at their seminar, October 12th. The number to call, 905-529-7165. Or you can find out all the information on their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're talking about the right advice, bringing your future into focus. Yes, and uh, just uh, w one of the interesting parts was is how much did people think they needed to retire on? Mm -hmm. And times their current income. So if you made, say, 50 grand a year, mm -hmm. um, how much did you need times that? Right. So if you need 10 times that, that would be 500,000. Right. And so they gave, you know, two to three times, four to five times, up to 10 to 12 times. And it was interesting. 24% of the people polled thought they would only need two to three times that to retire on. Mm. So 100, 150 grand. The other 24%, the exact same amount, said you need 10 to 12 per times. And that is the right number. You do need about 10 times what your current income is mm -hmm. to live at a similar lifestyle. Makes total sense because if you had, say, $60,000 a year income, um, 12 times that is 720,000. And it, at, that would give you an income of 50,000 a year for 20 years mm -hmm. at 4% uh, return on your money. And so taking OAS, Old Age Security, Canada Pension Plan, you're living at a similar lifestyle retirement, but you needed to sock away 10 times your, your current income. Right. Okay. Um, the other one that was kind of interesting, out of the last 35 years, how many of those years were positive? And they said 10 years, 15, 20, 25 years, 30 years, 35 years. Just out of curiosity, Scott, what would you, what would you have guessed? Uh, how many years are positive out, out of, of? 35 years. I would say 20. Pretty darn close. It was 25 years. Hmm. Yet it was actually interesting. Majority seemed to be called it pessimistic. Mm -hmm. They seem to remember the negative years a lot more yeah. than the positive years. So they felt there was a lot less. In fact, 30% thought there was only 10 positive years out of the last 30 years, 35 hmm. years. Hmm. And so it's... Maybe it doesn't have anything to do with finance. <laughs> <laughs> true, true enough. So it, it is interesting. Um, and again, how important it is to have equities as part of your portfolio. So uh, another stat is what percentage should you be taking out of your savings each year? Mm -hmm. Okay. And 2 to 3%, 4 to 5% of your, re of your investment, more than 9% of your investment. It turns out, and we've always said this, you should 
very currently with today's interest rates, if you took four to five percent of the of the of the portfolio every year, mm-hmm. you would be fine. Yeah, it's pretty much stress test. And it was interesting; most people got that right. Thirty-eight yeah. percent got that right. That was the biggest number. And but the one area is life expectancy. If you're sixty-five years old, how long are you going to live? And it, in general, a couple, two people at uh, 65 years old, one one of them will live to about age 90. Mm-hmm. And most people got that right. Yet it was interesting, they only felt they only needed one, on average, <laughs> two to three times their income. <laughs> so things aren't adding up. So in one sense, side of their brain is, I don't need that much money. Um, maybe they don't think I'm going to live long. But then you ask them the question, and yo, I'm going to live a long time. So... One it, is hope. <laughs> yeah. I just want to retire is basically it. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. Um, six out of 10 respondents do make use of a financial planner. But it's interesting, only one out of four had a financial plan. So that didn't quite seem to go that they're not using the full benefit of having a financial plan. They're asking, but they're not taking all the advice. Is that what that means? Yeah, or they're not yeah. getting the plan. Some yeah. some of them are not perhaps not getting a plan, and, and it's extremely important to get that plan. So, top reasons for working in retirement, fifty five percent. I just want to keep mentally and physically healthy, and I think that's a great reason. I've seen some guys on the golf course they're pushing eighty, and they're still working. They're still active in something, whether yeah. they're mechanic or working in a business or doing whatever. Uh, maybe a small part of what they used to do, mm-hmm. consulting. Um, they definitely seem younger. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, just because they're active. Um, half the people did say, though, they were working because they needed to work mm-hmm. for financial reasons. And uh, 38% says it gave me a, gave me a purpose, uh, kept, me, kept me busy. Yeah, sure. So working is an option. It's just that you, maybe you shouldn't think of it as the only option. And because health, unfortunately, it does cut, play yeah, a role. Yeah. And as much as I, we, Andy and I see people and say, oh, yeah, we're going to, we're definitely going to be working in retirement. We don't see people following up as much. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. once they retire and kind of say, well, this is pretty good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I can get yeah. used to this. I like well, it. I'm yeah. really good at this. <laughs> <laughs> I found my niche. Yeah. <laughs> this is what yeah. I'm good at. <laughs> Boy, that's a good point. That's a nice way of putting it, Andy. I like that. So, mm-hmm. and again, retirees with a plan, 94% were good financially versus only 77% without a plan. And emotionally, 92% felt emotionally well mm-hmm. with a plan and the 79% without a plan. And sociably, it seemed to affect on all levels, physically, social, emotionally. It just shows how important a financial plan is and having a written plan. So when, when we go through this exercise called a PFP and go through all this data collection, it is, and a plan is only as good as the data we collect. Mm -hmm. So we're not asking all these questions simply because we want to know these answers. We need these answers. We try to make it as accurate as possible to give a very accurate forecast based on your current situation, will you succeed? And with that, I know there's a lot of small business owners wondering right now if they're going to be succeeding after some changes that might come through. Yeah, this week, I guess it's like Monday, right, is the the deadline for the submissions regarding the implementation. July 18th, the Liberal government announced changes to private corporations and the taxation rules around them. And, uh, of course, there's been a flurry of activity both in the House of Commons, on the airwaves, you name it, and in the media. And so really, just a quick summary again, there's three things that the government is going after in terms of the changes regarding private corporations. Number one is income sprinkling. 
So that's a that's in the sense where you're able to shift income that you would have normally paid tax on personally to another family member or a shareholder in your company. Mm-hmm. Number two is your excess capital. So remember, in a small business, if you don't need all the income out of your business, you can leave money in your business. Mm -hmm. And because you're leaving it in there, you've paid a lower rate of tax, 15%, say, versus 40%. So that extra 25% is money that's in your your accounts. And you can invest that money and make it grow. And number three is the capital gains exclusion. So as you're a small business owner, just a little over $800,000 is a tax-free capital gain on the sale of your business. And you can multiply that by creating additional corporations uh, or using other shareholders as part of that capital gain. So those are the three things. And there was a story in the Globe and Mail, which I just wanted to share because I think it sort of summarized a little bit, put into context, what the average person who owns a corporation, some of the decisions they're having to deal with if these new laws are implemented. And the story goes in, it's, uh, it's a story about, uh, we'll call the woman Sally and, uh, and her son, uh, a single mom and her son, Chris. And Sally is basically operating a successful business mm-hmm. and she employs five staff and those five staff make between forty and $50,000 per year. By the time she pays all of her expenses and operating expenses, she ends up with about $80,000 of income personally that she is using for her lifestyle, et cetera. And, uh, and she, her oldest son, Chris, who is 20, is attending college and she splits income by paying Chris a dividend every year. Right. And this is reducing her tax bill. Now, normally the rules were changed a couple of years ago. If Chris was 18 years of age or or under 18, she would have to pay an additional tax rate called the kitty tax. So basically eliminated that uh, several years ago, the opportunity to income split with children under the age of 18. And now they're going after the age group 18 to 24. So Chris would fall into this situation. Under the proposed liberal tax proposals, if they're enacted, Sally would not be able to split the income with Chris any longer, and it would basically cost her an additional $6,100 in income taxes by not being able to split it. Now, the you know the story says, well, really, maybe tough luck, Sally, too bad. You know, business owners shouldn't be able to split income. I'm an employee, I can't split income, so what's the deal? And the fact is that Sally is actually has many disadvantages that employees don't have. For example, she can't claim employment insurance if she loses her job or the business goes under. She doesn't get paid vacation time in part, in, in, on, on her annual basis. She uh, she doesn't have the same protection in terms of employment laws, severances, etc., like that. And she's the one who's exposed to all of her personal assets in terms of collateral, etc., to provide cash for the business. And finally, she's going to be the last one to get paid if things get tight. And I was talking to another business owner this week who, during the recession of 08, recalls having to dip into a line of credit, personal line of credit that they had established for $250,000 to keep their business afloat and took on a ton of risk to do it. It paid off because they now are still, the business turned around, the economy turned around and they're successful. But it's just another example of how people take on personal risk to run their own business. And on top of that, a very similar kind of thing is where people were using their RSP assets to get through. 
exactly because they couldn't cash pay themselves, so they cashed yeah. in RSPs. Yeah. Well, you didn't see employees have to do that because right. they were still employed. Yeah. And all of these, um, all of the, this criteria that was put into place was put into place because self-employed people didn't have these benefits that employed people. That's right. Had. Exactly. So it, it's sort of being positioned now as if these people are cheating the system, oh. so to speak. But loophole. This was, the word loophole but is this becoming was, a plot. This now. was introduced, from what I understand, in Ontario back in 2000 in order so that they would have some sort of nest egg. They would mm-hmm. na- Now they're kind of taking that away. It, they are. And I think that, um, you know, what Prime Minister Trudeau is saying is that he wants to go after those people earning $150,000 annually or more and, uh, you know, that they're the wealthy making mm-hmm. all this money. And a lot of business owners, just like Sally, are not this wealthy establishment of people that are making, you know, a million dollars a year. So in, in her case, this additional $6,100 of tax that she's going to have to pay is basically an increase in her personal tax rate. Because remember, she makes eighty grand, 40% increase in her tax rate by that additional $6,100. And that's a huge difference in terms of her business. And she's not a wealthy person, and she spends most of what she earns to maintain her family and provide a lifestyle. And uh, since her business is the only source of income that she has, she's going to need to find an additional $6,100 after taxes from her business somehow. So in order for Sally's business to provide her with that extra $6,100, she's going to need to pay herself an additional $9,000 before taxes annually. And the bottom line is now she needs to cut business expenses by nine grand to do this. So she was giving this some thought and she made a list of considerations to achieve the cost savings. Number one, number one was no raises. So for her middle class employees, uh, normally she was giving them a 2% raise each year, which costs her about $4,000 plus employment taxes. So that was one thought, no raises for her five employees. Number two, a reduction of company benefits for her middle class employees. Number three was uh, moving her office further out of the city where she and her staff currently live, where the rent is going to be cheaper, but that would increase travel time and costs for all of her middle-class staff. Canceling her sponsorship of a local festival attended by many residents of that city. Reducing the donations she makes to local charity, including the local food bank. Eliminating her business coaching, which has provided uh, provides an income to her coach, another middle class entrepreneur, and which uh, led to her business gro- business growth over the years, which also resulted in hiring another employee last year, or canceling her twice per year winter family trip to Collingwood to save a little more. So. That's her, that's her laundry list of where she's going to do it. Now, you know, might say, oh, well, what's the big deal? You know, if she cuts back her donations or cuts out her trips to Collingwood each year, you know, and in, a, in it by herself or alone, it probably doesn't make a difference. But you multiply these decisions across thousands, tens of thousands of business owners, and you begin to think of the impact that this has overall in the, in the economy. So it's these small changes that yeah. she's going to have to make to her life uh, to make ends meet, which are really going to have a big impact on those middle-class people in her life. And, uh, you know, th- and so at the end of the day, I think that if, the, if Trudeau was thinking that these changes are only going to impact the wealthy, it's it's uh, that's could be further from the truth and i think really at this stage you know w- what they're trying to do is 
really major reforms compared to the, probably the biggest tax reform we've seen in decades in terms of changes to the way we're structuring our tax system. Mm. And to be honest, I think we have to go back to the drawing board and look at other ways to do this. There was another article, which we could talk about, which talked about the public service pensions and how those pension plans uh, actually could generate a lot more tax savings. Mm -hmm. The estimated tax savings from these changes that the Liberal government's proposing is about $250 million a year. Uh, a great article will share about the public service pension and what the costs are to our taxpayer dollars and how that is actually an area that might be able to fix some of this money. It almost seems as if uh, political leaders are now pitting one class against the other. Yeah, absolutely. It, it seems that, you know, uh, if, you've, if you've got to pay your way, if, you've, if you're an entrepreneur, if you want to try to make money, if you want to try to, to reach your goal, that somehow you're bad. Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely one class, middle class against the wealthy. And it's kind of funny coming from very wealthy people, yeah, by the way, yeah. with Trudeau, with his trust fund and his, uh, his very high income is 370000 or 340000 a year and a massive pension. He gets two thirds of that income for life mm-hmm. once he hits 65. Mm-hmm. So that's a massive amount going, which private sector, we could not put that much into an RSP. Yeah. Okay. So it's actually interesting when they looked at, you know, they keep saying the rich have to pay their fair share. It was interesting, 50%, uh, sorry, the, uh, there's uh, people making under 50000 a year. That's 68% of all tax filers. And uh, they're actually only paying about 13% of all the tax. Now, the other side of the coin, the ones that are making over 100000 a year, that would represent 8% of all tax filers. And they are paying 52% of all the tax. Mm-hmm. So basically, expressed differently, if less than one-tenth of all the tax filers currently are paying more than half the income tax, that currently apparently is not fair yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we have to do more to make it fair. Yes. <laughs> we are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message or, bur- or book your spot for the seminar on October 12th, 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Want to go to their seminar October 12th? You can uh, give them a call, 905-529-7165 to book your spot. You can also do it online at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're talking about changes to uh, the tax code. Yes, and it's interesting. There's this whole, like, it's almost a myth, in my opinion, about the, the rich not paying their fair share. And mm-hmm. they keep using that tagline. And, and statistics don't show this. It's, uh, it, they're really trumped up, yeah. if you will. Mm-hmm. And I look at it, and that kind of that one percenters in Canada, um, the ones that make t- 250000 or greater, are repre- that's the 1% of Canada. Mm-hmm. And right now, they earn 11.3% of all the money in Canada. Mm-hmm. They are paying 21% of all the income tax in Canada. Mm-hmm. So even though, yes, they do represent about a tenth of the percent, they're, they're actually paying 20% of all the tax filers. Mm-hmm. In fact, they're almost paying as much as the people under 50,000. And there's 68% of the population is earning less than 50,000. Mm-hmm. They're paying about 13%. And the ones that are only a very small, the 1%, they're paying 21% of all the money in Canada. So the tax system already is very, very tilted 
that mm-hmm. the more you make, the they tax the rich. They tax the rich yeah. like crazy. And the question, you know, Prime Minister says that the middle class pay too much taxes. Probably true. We all pay too much taxes, yeah, okay? Yeah. doesn't matter. Actually, the ones that don't pay too much tax are simply the lower income. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody else is subsidizing the lower income people, and that's great. We don't have yeah. that floor of people all begging on the street and things, mm-hmm. and, which is fantastic. I'm glad we have that system. But to think for a second that the rich aren't paying their fair share, this absolutely defies logic. And in that 250000 these are the people that already have the corporations. Mm-hmm. And this is a two hundred. This is a 2014 figure. So these are all included, all the corporations, all the small business people, the successful ones that have worked in, in many cases 60, 70 hours a week, finally grabbed that big income, took all the risks in the world to get there. So a lot of people failed, went bankrupt, but these successful people, yes, they're earning the money, they are paying a lot of tax already. Mm-hmm. And this is what has been shown. So to, it, it's interesting. I, I, I've followed a, a lot of uh, you know different write-ups and people have commented. And the ones that commented, yeah, we just have to make the rich pay their fair share. Yeah. It's simply, they're just almost parroting, <laughs> like a parrot. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're talking about what they've already been heard. Yeah. It's not true. Yeah. We are paying our fair share. It's sort of because the middle class has lost the manufacturing center because, or, uh, uh, sector um, because uh, the middle class doesn't, isn't doing as well as it once was instead of increasing or helping the middle class, it's we're attacking those that are successful. Yeah, and, and, and employ the middle class. It, you know, it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It and, just doesn't make any sense. And as Andy just mentioned, the last portion there, if you start attacking the business owner, that's the employers. Those are the ones yeah. that help all the middle class. Yeah. And, and in fact, they get paid before the owners get paid. Yeah. And in recessions and everything else. So. Absolutely. The rules are made for the employees. The owners are the ones taking the risks. So I I mentioned uh, the public service pension plan, the federal public service pension plan. And as you know, is there a solution or is there another way to find that tax revenue that we've that we've lost out on? And, uh, and so there are pundits out there that have pointed to the public service pension plan. In other words, as a politician, why don't you take a look internally and say, what's going on in our own plan, or is there any way that we can save tax dollars What they internally? will say, Andy, is, well, we're just fueling the race to the bottom if we do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I, I would argue then with that is the point that when you compare pension plans, is it a fair level playing field? Mm-hmm. And so the, the public service pension plan is backed by the federal government. It provides inflation protection. It provides uh, a guaranteed uh, payout or guaranteed benefit, defined benefit plan. It provides uh, early retirement benefits and growing benefits, etc. And basically, today, a 35-year public servant is retiring with about 1.2 million dollars in pension assets. If you were to put a number to it, and when you start comparing that public pension plan to the other public pension plans, and the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan is one of the biggest ones out there as well, then you start to see where the gaps occur. And for example, they're in the public service pension plan, the federal government one, for the uh, their employees and the politicians, there is no risk if it becomes underfunded. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the Ontario teacher plan, the Ontario pension board has to make investment decisions and make good investments so that they can grow that pot of money to sustain enough capital there to maintain all of their uh, retirees. 
If there's a deficit in the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, the employees and the employer share equally in creating an increase to the funding. The second thing is that in the public, in the federal government's pension plan for our politicians, inflation protection is guaranteed. In the teacher's pension plan, if inflation is risking the funding of the plan, then there's a cap put on the inflation protection. You do not get guaranteed inflation protection. You will share or be reduced in terms of how much protection you get. Uh, And so if you were to look at converting the public service pension plan into a defined contribution plan where the majority of pension plans have gone, where now the employees are sharing the risk as well as the employer, that in itself would save 10 times the amount of tax dollars that these tax reforms are being suggested right now. Hmm. So it's it becomes obvious that, um, you know, if you're already receiving, and I'm not smashing or or, or degrading anybody who is part of the public service and the job they do. The contributions, if if you're going to get that kind of benefit though, then your pay should be lower. Because if you're trying to compare apples to apples, if you've got a great pension plan, then you shouldn't be paid the same as someone in mm-hmm. the private sector. Mm-hmm. You should be making less for the less same job. For the same job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If because you're getting that extra benefit on the other side. Yeah. Right? If you if you keep the same, if you want the same income you're receiving now, then you should be in a comparable private sector or even public sector sector pension plan, which has the same typical type of benefits and the same sharing of risk, mm. which it doesn't occur in the PPSP. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now, leave a message, even book your spot for the seminar October 12th, 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're talking about uh, all kinds of tax changes is going on. Uh, really, just another great reason why you need a financial planner to keep yeah. up with all this stuff. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. And, and what a great time to reflect. You know, it, it's times like this where you say, okay, am I doing all the best things? Am I, am I getting the most kind of juice out of my financial plan as I can? Uh, and when I say that juice, I'm looking at if so much money is leaking to tax, you're not getting it all. Mm-hmm. And there's tax planning before this legislation's passed, if it's passed, after it's passed, you should really be sitting down with a financial planner to make sure you're getting the most efficient use of the assets you're currently getting, um, whether it's RSPs, tax-free savings accounts, what type of investments, what type of income you're getting from those. Getting that financial plan, as, as discussed earlier, a financial plan, only one out of four people have a written financial plan. Mm-hmm. And, and they get such a great peace of mind once they get it done. Well, you know, and I just said, the other thing I wanted to bring up, I know Investors Group has been strong advocate at the table in terms of the roundtable discussions and, and with the government, we've been proposing or putting together ideas and, and giving them ideas about how to, where else to find tax dollars, but also in terms of creating this legislation, we've been at the table fighting for our clients and trying to make sure that these what it is implemented is at least fair and can be dealt with from a financial planning standpoint. But, you know, it's amazing too, even this week, as you talk about preparing or minimizing tax, met with a business owner who um, hadn't, they hadn't maximized their tax-free savings account. Mm. 
So a simple thing like that where, mm-hmm. you know, this hasn't been executed. Why hasn't this been executed? It wasn't in their plan. It wasn't written. And there's nobody there had really sort of executed or helped them to get it done. Yeah. In the same individual had uh, over 500000 sitting in various checking slash savings accounts within two different corporations that they own. And that money hasn't hadn't been invested properly, although it was potentially needed for business operations. It had been there for over seven years. And in fact, there was a period of time where because of inactivity, the bank had actually stopped paying them interest on over $200,000 and was collecting fees with no interest during that time period. So, you know, where you're busy operating your business, you're busy doing it, doing it, doing it, and you're successful at it. But it's what is the plan behind the scenes to make sure that we're not missing any of these opportunities? You have to have that partnership. And again, as Annie mentioned, your day-to-day operations of running a business, a successful business, is takes up all your time. Yeah. Um, you're thinking about when you, as you get home, like a business owner goes home with a whole lot of things that they have to do the next day. It's, mm-hmm. it's ongoing. And to step back and say, okay, I want to see my financial planner because their business eventually has to be looked upon as how is that going to get me to retirement? Yeah. And yes. the personal is a separate part of it. And it's so interesting when we go through all this, because we do it in a, a very business-like fashion, we go through the assets, we go through the cash flow, what do you spend personally? And it's quite a, it's quite interesting because they do this on the business side. They know every expense business-wise there is. They save money, they're very prudent, but on but they're so busy. When it comes on the personal side, it's nice to have somebody and they to go over all these expenses to make sure that it's all working on both sides of their life, mm. business and personal. And, you know, just an example, too, uh, people are get to the point as they're nearing retirement and they begin to think about, should I be taking money out of my RSP now? Should I be putting it into a RIF? How much, you know, what are the implications of that? How do I create my retirement paycheck? And, um, you, you know, so an example was a client who had low low income in one year, business income was, uh, was slow. It was actually an opportunity to take money out of their RRSP at a lower right. tax rate than they had ever saved. So in other words, they got a lot more bang for their buck by being able to withdraw RRSPs during a period of low income because they'd saved a ton of tax in previous years when they were in a high tax bracket. And so often things like that don't get pointed out to, to business owners or it's not the first thing that comes to mind. The other thing we've seen are, uh, for example, business loss carry forwards that have to be used up. Charitable donation carry forwards where people have perhaps given a large donation, haven't been able to use all the tax credits. How do we get those and use them up so that you're not, you don't leave them on the table? Um, AMT, alternative minimum tax loss uh, payments, which are carry forward amounts too, which have to be used up over a 10 year time period to be able to recoup extra tax that you've paid. So again, just thing after thing after thing. So yeah. yeah. A lot of my clients, uh, business owners are are using up the capital dividend account, which means the account has to go back for sometimes 10 years to get this accumulated, apply to the government and see how much can they take out of their business Mm tax-free. And it's one of those exercises that every business owner should be doing, certainly should be asking their accountant about this. And again, what an opportunity to take it out of their holding company, bring it into their personal life, because it's very difficult without paying a lot of tax, and maybe get tax-free savings accounts. But these are the conversations that Andy and I have when sitting down with business owners. Mm. And I think the final thing is just trying to figure out how to simplify 
your life because it doesn't take very long if you're a business owner where suddenly you do have a holding company, you have an operating company, maybe there's a family trust, maybe there's another operating company as part of the group as well. And suddenly there's four or five tax returns being being done every single year and multitude of accounts, et cetera, trying to consolidate all these things down so that it simplifies it, A, for succession planning and B, for estate planning too, so that you're not left out there with a mess on your hands when it comes to your executors looking after your estate. Talking about planning, let's plug the seminar. Oh, yep, quickly. October 12th is the date. Uh, AndyandDawn.com is a great way to register. Uh, morning session, 10 a.m., our, our Royal Hamilton Yacht Club, 7 p.m. in the evening at Sea Hotel, creating your retirement paycheck. And, of course, that is October 12th. If you want to find out more, 905-529-7165 or, as Andy said, on the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Investors Group Financial Services, Inc., of course, presenting Planning Your Financial Future. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Thanks Scott. Scott.